Bibles and turn back into Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11 this week. Take some time to open up your Bibles. Exodus chapter 20. As you're doing that, I'm going to read that last, that third verse. I'll read it again really quickly. It just saying, Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. That is sort of the theme of what we want to get at today as we're looking at the Sabbath commandment. And I don't know if you notice this, sometimes when we sing these older hymns, we don't realize that grammatically and sentence structure, things don't always work in our minds the way that they were originally written. But that last verse, we sing, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. It almost sounds like we're saying Jesus is taking life and rest and joy and peace. But what we just sang was, from Jesus, we take life and rest and joy and peace. But what comes before that is just from sin and self to cease. To cease from sin, to cease from self. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if every time we came to worship on Sunday morning, we truly could lay down our pursuit of sin and our pursuit of self fully. One day we will. One day when Christ returns and makes all, thing, all things truly his again, we will lay down our pursuit of sin and self. And we will just from him take life and rest and joy and peace. Well, hopefully as we think of the Sabbath this morning, you might find a foretaste of that eternal rest that Christ has promised us because of his work at the cross. Did you find Exodus 20 yet? I'm going to read verses 8 through 11, and then we'll ask the Lord for his help. Verse 8 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, sh you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is one of the most delightful commands in the Ten Commandments. I'm going to soak those words in for a second. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He made it holy. It is to be a delight, a joy. since that's the sermon, that's it already. It is easy for us in our hearts and in our minds to think that if I'm not working, that I'm not gaining, I'm losing something by stopping to worship or stopping to serve someone else or stopping just to rest in you. Father, again, in our minds right now, we are thinking, some of us, about Independence Day cookouts, some of us about house projects, 
some of us about work starting and some of us about something else going on at home or in a relationship with our kids or in our neighborhoods. Would you help us to cease from self-destruction as the Sabbath commands us to lay down all of our pursuits, even the good ones, God. Help us to hear from your word this morning. Spirit, would you come not only in in this room, but in the whole of our lives as we are thinking of them even now. Help us to rest in you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope it is a sweet thing for you this morning to simply trust in Jesus. You've done nothing by coming here to earn your rightness with God, to earn his favor, to earn his blessing. He already wants to give it to you. As at the end of this command, again, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. It is a gift to you to have this day to be yours. We'll talk about, you know, whether we're talking about Saturday or Sunday later on. But as it stands right now throughout the world, Christians are gathering together to lift up their voices in praise to this Lord of the Sabbath who has redeemed us, who's made us new and given us eternal life by his blood. Well, obviously, as we're thinking about the Sabbath, though, we have to perhaps start by thinking about work, this thing that we are ceasing from. Now, here's a question. Is work a good thing? Yes, absolutely it's a good thing. And like all good things, we are very good at making them ultimate things, at turning them into idols, making them something more and something beyond how we ought to see them, and certainly how God has designed them to be. But work is good, and it has been good even from before the fall, even in creation. What was Adam commissioned to do? Someone tell me. It was his job. Yeah, keeping the garden. That's work, right? But it was good. It was God's design. He created us to work. And in fact, as we read in that last verse, God himself is a God who works. Work is good. Let's establish that at the front. Colossians 3.23, Paul tells us that whatever you do, do it willingly as to the Lord, for the Lord, willingly for the Lord. Um, I like other translations say things like earnestly and heartily for the Lord. So whatever you do, if you're in that normal work week of Monday through Friday, whatever you do in that 40 hours or maybe 40 plus hours, Whatever you do in that setting, if it is good, honest work, do it heartily as for the Lord. There is some freedom to be had in work, right? Especially when you find that job where you go, ooh, this is what I was made to do. Perhaps we sense that idea of freedom even more when we're in jobs where we go, this is not what I was meant to do. Been in those jobs before. I, I did a, oh man. This is not going to sound good because I'm preaching right now. But I did a sales job before for like two weeks, and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Not that sales is bad, but for me, I just could not get excited about selling roofs. I just didn't, I couldn't do it, you know? I, maybe it was a weakness in myself because I'm sure that many of us in the room right now could say, well, hey, 
Roofs are important and they're good and they're helpful and we need them and et cetera, et cetera. That's really good, but I just couldn't find in myself that zeal to go and knock on someone's door to tell them about it. It was tough. I've also been in jobs where I've just simply sat and stared at a computer screen screen and entered data for 40 hours a week. That's also hard for a person like me who wants to get up and away from my desk and talk to somebody sometimes. But work is good. The freedom that we find in work so often is associated with the freedom that we find in work that we enjoy, but all honest and good work is good and can be blessed by the Lord and should be done for him. But now we're talking about the Sabbath. We're moving to the fourth commandment. We have the first one, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. The second one, you shall not make for yourself a graven image. The third one, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then we come to the fourth commandment that is initially framed in the positive. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. And this commandment, though it's given to Israel in the Old Testament, still bears much weight for us in the New Testament. And throughout church history, we've embraced it as such. Just to give a couple of points in history today, 1932 was when our country officially started to follow Henry Ford's idea of a weekend, of a 40-hour work week. 1932, that wasn't that long ago, as far as you know, things that we understand as pretty normal, Monday through Friday, or whatever your work week looks like. It's pretty normal for us to think, hey, two days I'm not going to be checking in at the job, and then I'm going to be working those other five. But it was only 1932. People started to realize that just because we were working more doesn't mean that we were actually producing more. And Henry Ford said there's no reason for us to keep people working if they're not going to produce as much as, they, as we think they should in six days. Let's give them that other day. Interestingly enough, as I was surfing the internet, I noticed an ad pop up from Amazon for something that they called a bedside workstation. This was a little microwave cart looking guy with a flexible arm and like an angled tabletop that you presumably pull up next to your bed and swing the top over, put your laptop on, and you're working in your bed. I mean, I think this ad is probably about a year late for some of us, but it spoke to something very interesting as I was thinking about work and thinking about rest and thinking about so often where we take these two things and we say, if only we could put them together, if I didn't have to get out of my pajamas or my bed, I could just swing the laptop over and I'm in the office. A lot of us learned how to do that this past year, of course, in the quarantining that we've done. But it's fascinating that in 1932, we have this historical moment where we say, hey, we need to work less. And we zoom forward to 2021, and we think we should have progressed. We, we should be doing well. But really, we're being sold items that say, hey, did you know that even though you're sleeping, you could still be working? Or you could be even more ready to work as soon as you wake up. It's interesting. I wonder what that represents for our hearts when we think about pursuing freedom. As we're talking about these Ten Commandments and, and this idea of the law of liberty, looking today at the Sabbath and saying, church, you are free to rest. 
not only free, but also commanded. But the intention is freedom. This fourth commandment comes to a new nation in Exodus chapter 20, a nation full of entirely former slaves, knowing no other kind of lifestyle. And it offers them something they'd never had in Egypt, a day off. How basic and simple. But of course, when you're enslaved, you don't get a day off. You don't get to decide. You don't get to negotiate your contract. God comes in and says, this is what I want to give you. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're going to look at this, these um, verses in four steps. Firstly, in verse 8, we're going to see, um, I'm trying to draw out some of these points here. Firstly, that we should make the Sabbath a regular and holy habit in our lives. And then in verse 9 through the first part of verse 10, that we should let the rest of the week culminate in the Sabbath. Second part of verse 10, we'll say that we ought to make the Sabbath a community-wide, liberating blessing. And then we'll close with verse 11 that tells us to keep the Sabbath as redeemed imitators of the good God of creation. So just so you know where we're going. But firstly, make Sabbath a regular holy habit in your life. What does this word Sabbath come from? It comes from a Hebrew word that simply means to cease. Just from sin and self to what? Cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and joy and health and peace. This is what Sabbath means, to cease. It is also framed in this first verse as a holy day. What does holy mean? Set apart, unique, different, other. If you were filling out one of those categories, one of those questionnaires, and you see that last box that says other, that is what holy is. There's not a category that we can say holiness is like this. Holiness is always different. It is always set aside and special and unique. So we're meant to make the Sabbath a regular and holy habit of our lives. To set aside one day as holy for the blessing of three things. Worship, rest, and ministry. Now we're focusing highly on rest. And that is sort of the, heart's, the, the, the status of the heart throughout all of Sabbath, as we worship, as we do things to physically rest, if you're going to take a nap or whatever that is. And then, of course, as we serve others, we're also doing this in a mindset of rest. So in the command, we find a blessing. In the requirement, we're finding freedom. This is what makes these commands, um, this, this commandment sort of unique amongst the others. Now, all of this is the law of liberty, Every command that comes in frees us from something else. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is not primarily about re restricting us. It's not that this is God's main goal is to say, how can I put some kind of restriction or border around my people? But it is in order to preserve the freedom and the salvation that he's afforded them out of Egypt. And so it is for us. If we've been redeemed by Christ from sin, then all of these commandments are given as borders and boundaries to preserve our freedom and our life in Christ. So three directions for Sabbath then. First of all, worship. In verse 10, we see this, that uh, the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord. 
Worship to the Lord. Again, those first three commandments all having to do with directly with worship, how we think about God and how we speak about God and how we come to worship, how we uh, act out what God has done in our lives, how we live in light of who he is. And part of that has to do with a, an idea of rest, knowing that the Sabbath is meant to be to the Lord. We also want to remember that all days belong to him, right? It's not as though, hey, God says, six days, do whatever you want. And then, hey, check in and confession on Saturday night so you can be cleansed of all of that so you can start right over again. This is often the mindset of many who have, have seen the Sabbath, have seen Sunday worship as an opportunity to just kind of say, hey, God, are we cool? Are we good? Because I'm going to go right back into all those things I was doing before, but here's the day I'm giving to you. course that's not what he's getting at here this is marked especially for spiritual purpose and we'll talk about that more secondly of course to just simply practically rest to first worship but then also to practically rest in verse 10 he says you shall do no work and there you see the negative form of the command is included in here as well and anytime as uh, Alec Mateer told us the last few weeks Anytime we see a negative command, we're knowing that this negative command is given to fight against the heavy current of evil in our hearts. Is it possible to work so much that it becomes an evil thing? Absolutely. And I imagine that for many of us, if not all of us, we often have that struggle of embracing just the good of work and and trying to stay out of the what of making work an ultimate thing and the sabbath comes in to safe to, to save us from that basically to, to give us a safe border away from that gives us the example in verse 11 that after the lord created everything in genesis 1 and 2 it says the lord rested now theologically does the lord need to rest no, thank you. He does not need at all. Remember A.W. Tozer, my, one of my favorite quotes from him. Need is a creature word. Do not consider need when we consider how God interacts with anything. But he does rest and he lays out a pattern for us. Kevin DeYoung says, we rest so that we might be free to worship God. And we give God worship in part by trusting him enough to rest. You know, before you go into a sports season, you have to go get a physical, right? You have to go to the doctor, make sure everything's okay, everything's working properly. The Sabbath is meant to be a sort of spiritual in that sense. You know, a lot of us really emphasize, well, really all of us to some degree, right? We emphasize our personal health. We know that's an important thing. We want to do something to take care of ourselves to some degree. And the Sabbath comes in and says, for one day, Make sure that you've taken care of yourself spiritually. Again, it's not to say your spiritual life only matters one day of the week, but we're talking about a special emphasis, a holiness to this day. If we are wholly belonging to Christ and we are holy in him, then all days are set apart to him, right? And we'll talk about that as a mindset that carries over into our week. But as we think of this one specific day that we're supposed to keep as holy, set apart, valued, and unique. I wonder if those words define Sabbath rest for you, a day that is set apart. 
a day that is valued and unique, looked forward to, the culmination of your week. For me, Sunday is easily the high point of the week because I've been working on this thing all week long. You know, I'm ready. I'm, I, this needs to come out. Like it, it's, it's the, you know, the final exam every single week for me. But whether you're preaching or it's your junior worship week or your nursery week or you're doing Sunday school or the sound booth or whether or not you have some action to take in here to facilitate the service or not, I wonder if Sunday is the high point of your week, that you get to gather with God's people to worship, to rest in Christ, to serve other people, and just to rest practically afterwards, hopefully. God doesn't give us this commandment for just when it's convenient or when we think we've managed to keep up with the week prior. This is his command, but it is also his blessing. The Psalms talk about a place where, I think he says Zion. This is just popping in my head, so I'm sorry. (laughs) But the psalmist talks about how the Lord's city is the place where God commands his blessing. That's how zealous God is to give you good things, to express his goodness in your life. He commands his blessing. He puts this blessing of Sabbath in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It's amazing. So often we think about God as just a rule giver who just wants to rein us in on all of our own plans and our own desires. But in fact, Sabbath reminds us, not just for this fourth commandment, but for all of them, that this is indeed the law of liberty for us. The way that we live life in the freedom that God has purchased on our behalf. It's his command and his blessing. Not just when it's convenient, not just when we've managed to do everything we meant to do. There was a moment in college for me, this was probably one of the most defining moments in in understanding rest for me. And my buddy and I were studying for something, I don't remember, a test or presentation or whatever it might be. And we're texting back and forth, we were in different places, and I'm like, I don't get this, well, I don't get this, well, here's how you do this, and blah, blah, blah. And then I text him, and he says, hey, I'm going to bed. And I'm like, oh, no, you're not. No, you're not leaving me. You stay up, right? We're not even done with the study guide yet. It was midnight, I think. And my friend says, hey, look, studying is really important, but sleep is more valuable to me when I actually go to take the test. And that sentence still kind of haunts me, even on late Saturday nights when midnight comes around, you know, and I, and I realize that my, you know, my whole life is, is kind of, winding down my whole ability to do whatever it is that might be working on is winding down. You know it's the sermon, right? God has commanded and exemplified rest to us as a good thing, as a needed thing. That's where the commandment comes in to the blessing. Verses 9 through 10. Let the rest of the week culminate in Sabbath. So look at these verses with me again. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. We'll pause there for a second. So six days, that is your allotted time to get your work done. Look again at verse nine. Do all your work in six days. Got it? Do you see where legalism can kind of sneak in here a little bit? And start to say, hey, look, if you don't have all your work done, you can't enjoy the Sabbath. Say that if you're doing any work on the Sabbath at all, 
that you are in grave danger. Maybe that's not just legalism. Maybe that voice that we so quickly identify as like, no, 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 that's not what it is. But remember, command and blessing coming in here. We do need to deal with this fact that he is calling us to do all our work outside of the Sabbath. And we'll talk about the difference between what is work and what is not work in a moment. Just keep that in your heads. Six days for work. Whatever the Lord has called you to do, do all your work then. That's your chance and that's your deadline. For parents, you don't get to clock out. You don't get to tell your kids on Sunday morning, hey, listen, I'm Sabbathing today. You're going to have to just take care of yourself. I know, I know you're sick. I know you're tired. I know you're hungry. But, I mean, look, you're four years old. Like, by now, you should be able to take care of yourself. Also, I'm Sabbathing. Of course, there are some realities that we have to embrace with this and recognize that what God is not calling us to do, he is not calling us to neglect people, to neglect constant responsibilities in our lives. But as far as our regular work goes, we have a deadline. And this is where we come into our conflict. We don't understand this blessing. We get confused by this. Because in our minds, we say, okay, I see a deadline, but I also see, man, 24 hours. Like, I know the sermon might be long today, but that's, that still leaves me a good chunk of that day. Like, can't I go to church and, you know, take a quick cat nap when I get home and maybe read my Bible one more time and then just have the rest of the day to get back to work and get, boy, I've got such a big week ahead of me. It would be such a blessing if I could just let some of Monday back up into Sunday night, right? Wouldn't it be so great to get a head start on the week? Maybe that's your idea of blessing. But it's not the Lord's idea. We prefer to make our own definition. Because for some reason in our hearts, as we think of our own accomplishments, and as we think of refining our own identity as a good worker, as somebody who is meaningful in society... We so quickly twist this around and say, you know what? I really want to just kind of have like a, a spiritual application of Sabbath through Christ so that I don't have to worry about not practicing Sabbath. So that I can just kind of think along those lines of resting, but not actually take the time to rest. And then certainly when it comes to affording others rest, Right, Because these three things that we're called to do on the Sabbath of worship, rest, and ministry, this is ministry. This comes in uh, later on in verse 10. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the, or the sojourner who is within your gates. That's a pretty long list, but obviously it's including some and discluding others. He doesn't say anything about your neighbor. He doesn't say anything about the governor. He doesn't say anything about your pastor. Or you know, there's, This is not an exhaustive list, so who is he talking about? He's talking about people that you have influence over in your life. He's saying that, hey, you can't take this and say, well, I'm going to be obedient to the Sabbath, but I still want to make sure that I ask everybody else to do something else for me. My son, my daughter, my male servant, my female servant, my livestock, sojourner who is within my gates. There's a lot of ways that we try to pass over the idea of Sabbath. Amos 8.5 is an interesting passage with this because there's a context in this chapter of injustice being done by God's people. 
But there's also something really important. Listen to this in Amos 8, verse 5. God's people are saying to him, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. Again, you hear at the end of that verse the context of injustice, right? When are we going to be able to get out of church so we can start ripping people off? I imagine you're probably not thinking that this morning. I hope. Though there is this injustice that's being addressed, there's also a heart status that we can identify with. Because often on Sunday mornings, perhaps we might be thinking even, when is this going to be over? i got a lot to do. i got to get home and do this thing. i got to get ready for the week ahead. Sabbath is calling us to cease from all of that, to slow down. Hold your horses, my parents always said. Didn't even grow up on a farm, but we had those sayings all the time. You know that desk that Amazon was trying to sell me? is being sold to two different kinds of people, I think. One who is trying to eke out as much work as they possibly can so that even when they end their day and they get their pajamas on and they go to bed, they can say, oh, I can write one more email. And I could just, I mean, it's only 9.59. Or that's, I, I like to go to bed around then. It's only 10.59. I could write one more email real quick. And then I could know that I made every possible effort to get everything out of this day that I could for my work. But I think it's also being marketed to another person who says, you know, I don't, I don't want to actually have to get up and get dressed and go to the office if I'm working from home. I want to just bring this right over here to me, and I want Sabbath as much as I possibly can and diminish the good of work. Whatever situation we may be in, we're distorting the goodness of rest and the goodness of work and the balance that God has designed for us. If we continue to misunderstand our work or continue to misunderstand Sabbath, we are day by day diminishing the value of coming to that day off. Now, just for the sake of putting this in, because not everybody can take Sundays off, right? We get that. This is not about the the seventh day or the first day of the week. That's not the main emphasis for us in Christ. The emphasis is to take a day and make it holy. The day after all of our work, to make it the culmination of our work, the thing that we look forward to. Kevin DeYoung says again, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a day of freedom, one day out of seven, where the other six days have no claim on you? Some of you, I imagine, are thinking, that does sound wonderful, and it also sounds impossible. Even if I can get to church on Sunday, even if I can get to resting on Sunday or serving somebody or or moving away from my work, I still in my mind and my heart so often end up thinking about the week ahead. And God's word comes in and with this command of Sabbath ultimately asks us this question, is God's word enough? Can you trust him enough to take a break? to do all your work in six days, even if that means it's a kind of rough six days, to preserve that one day where you would be free from the weight of all your producing, all of your identity refinement, all of your efforts, all of your striving. Again, talking about good things and bad things. And our fallen answers from ourselves is, no, I need to produce. 
I need to become. I need to identify with what I've accomplished. And so we see ourselves in an interesting passage in Numbers 15, verses 32 to, sorry, 32 through 36. Because the Sabbath was a pretty strict thing. It was something we were meant to take seriously. Now listen to this story. When the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. Now, let's, let's talk about why he was gathering sticks. Why do you think he was gathering sticks in the Bible? Is he just cleaning up his yard? Can't stand having these sticks in my yard. Yeah, he's gathering sticks to use them for something, right? So let's get that context in here first. It says, they put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. They knew he broke the Sabbath, but they were like, how serious is this? He was picking up sticks. I mean, it wasn't like he was running around blaspheming the name of the Lord. He was just picking up sticks. Is this a really bad thing? They didn't know what to do. They bring him to Moses and Aaron. In verse 35, the Lord said to Moses, this man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. For doing what? Picking up sticks. Is the Sabbath about what we are doing so much as, or rather more than, our heart's determination to obey God and to receive his blessing? Because picking up sticks doesn't sound like a capital punishment kind of crime, does it? But we're under a context here where God's people are living under a theocracy. They're living under God as their one true ruler. God who can see the intentions and thoughts of all the hearts of everyone. And he says for this person, he deserves death. Because he's, he's profaned the Sabbath, as the Old Testament says later on. He's rejected God's blessing. It wasn't about like, hey, listen, picking up sticks, that's just a really evil thing. I don't know why you think you can do that. It was the fact that he was doing work on the Sabbath that he was meant to do before. And because in this context, he had been given every opportunity to get his work done so that that Sabbath day could be to the Lord, and he rejected that entirely. We don't know. We don't know what he said or what he was feeling. I don't imagine that he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to really stick it to God, pun intended. I'm going to leave these sticks for the Sabbath, and I'm going to pick them up then. I don't imagine that was the case. I don't imagine it was a malicious intention in his heart that said, ooh, I'm going to just really, really break this commandment as hard as I can. But it was a negligence to the duty that was clearly laid out before him. It was not a sin of commission so much as a sin of omission. He had omitted, he, has, he had left behind the Sabbath prerogative, the command blessing that God had for him. Now, we don't live under the Old Testament law. You're not going to be stoned this Sunday for telling us, hey, sorry, I, I cut my grass before church this morning. But there may be something in our hearts like this guy that we need to deal with. Because when Christ comes into the scene and calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath, he frees us to rest in him. 
he gives us the ultimate picture and the ultimate reason to say, I need to embrace the rest that God has designed for me and not my own plans, not my own desires, not my own perception of the world, but rather his. As we've quoted already in this series in Matthew 5, Jesus says, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. In Mark 2, we have Pharisees coming up, and as they had been putting burdens on the people beyond what the word of God had said and making it even harder to enjoy and obey the Sabbath command than, than they already had a hard enough time in Numbers 15, they made it even more strict. But then Jesus comes in in Mark 2, and they ask him if it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath, because that's kind of like work. and You shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. And you probably know what Jesus says. He says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And therefore, it is right to do good on the Sabbath. And so he heals this man. Not because he's done it out of a rebellious heart, but because he is showing us that Sabbath goes beyond um, our own perception, our own reception of rest. And it extends to creating rest and creating good in the lives of other people. As our hearts distrust and work to produce and refine our identity, as we distrust what the Lord has commanded, Christ comes in as the one who trusted his Father completely. The one who rested even when we would have been anxious in scenarios that he faced. Christ was the one who always, became, who always obeyed and therefore became the perfect sacrifice to atone even for Sabbath breakers at the cross. So because of Christ, we can join with the psalmist in Psalm 116, who says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. When we think about the salvation that Christ has afforded us, as great as the salvation of Israel from Egypt was, ours is an eternal, permanent salvation. And not one that we simply say, man, it sounds really great after I die, but one that starts here. The law of liberty reminds you of the liberty, not that you will, not just that you will receive in eternity, but that you are meant to walk in now. And that affects Sabbath. That affects our view of Sabbath. We will look to an ultimate Sabbath rest when Christ returns and brings his kingdom fully and we enjoy that for all of eternity. But even now, God wants us to take a moment, a day, one day out of six, to let our hearts be captivated by Christ and brought into the realization and the remembrance that one day we will enter into his rest, as the author of Hebrews says. The second part of verse 10 tells us to make Sabbath a community-wide and liberating blessing. When Christ was tested about whether he should do something on the Sabbath or not, he displayed the grace of God in giving Sabbath rest to others. In Matthew 12, verses 9 through 13, he heals another man. And he says, which one of you, if his sheep falls into a pit, aren't you going to go and save it? How much more value is a man than a sheep? When it comes to our call to testify to the goodness of Christ and the salvation he's given to us, Sabbath becomes probably the best platform of our week to testify to his goodness, to in our rest in him, call others to rest and even give sacrificially that they might 
come into the rest of Christ. All people around us are ones who need Sabbath rest. The people you're sitting next to right now. Even believers, we need to embrace this, but especially those who do not know Christ. Those who can't stop working to come in and worship. Those who can't get away from responsibilities and be, make, make space for rest. We need, ought to be ones that come in and say, hey, mom at home who just can't get a break, I'm going to take your kids out to lunch and you go do whatever you need to to rest. All the moms said amen. Or they didn't, it's okay. <laughs> but we all are in need of that rest. So who do you know? How can you testify to this rest in Christ through your life? We need to trust in Christ more than our opportunity to produce or to refine our identity. We need to trust that this Sabbath thing is a good thing for us and to keep it. And verse 11 tells us to keep the Sabbath as redeemed imitators of the good God of creation. That we've been given the Holy Spirit who is making us new more and more into the image of Christ day by day. And on these days, we have a special opportunity to express that newness of life that he's creating in us. Look at verse 11. I need to get back to Exodus. There we go. In verse 11, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea, all that is in them, and rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Alec Matir says, our calling is to live out his pattern, not ours. To make his example the way we order our lives. To reflect what we, are, what we truly are, which is beings created in the image of God. Now again, it's not about Saturday or Sunday. We have different work schedules. That's not what's coming out of this. But what's coming out of this is our heart's desire to embrace the blessings of God and make it known to the world around us. And to be imitators of him in that. Because God is the one who has provided us this rest. Christ has earned that rest for us at the cross. And in his resurrection, he shows us that it is ours. And so we ought to imitate him by testifying to this and calling others to it. So today I hope that you might receive the Sabbath with joy in Christ. As a blessing and a holy calling frees us to an eternal perspective. It shows that it is right and good to give to the Lord a day set aside to worship him, to honor him, to not just say, hey, I went to church so I got the worship part down, but is there some other activity of worship that you need to participate in today? Do you need to spend time in his word? Do you need to spend more time in prayer? Do you need to minister to others? Do you need to disciple someone in your family? Do you need to share the gospel with a neighbor? Do you need to do something that, that you've been putting off because work keeps getting in the way? The Lord recognizes that work's get, work gets in our way sometimes, and that's why he's designed the Sabbath, to ensure that we have room to worship, to rest, and to serve others. Sabbath is designed to fuel our lives for testimony to Christ. Okay, I read a really great article yesterday, or the day before, by Tim Keller on six ways that we rest on the Sabbath. And that's what I want to give you for just a five-minute reflection. I'm going to post it online again um, after the service so that you can have it. Um, <clears throat> but he gives us six different ways that we might rest on the Sabbath. So I want to ask you to pick one of these things as I go down the list. The first one he offers is the idea of completely unplanned time. 
Some of you cringe at that, right? Completely unplanned time. You mean I need to plan for from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock to just put a question mark on my calendar? Yeah. That could be an expression of Sabbath worship and Sabbath rest and Sabbath ministry, especially ministry. I mean, what if you took today and you said, Lord, from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock today, or, you know, whenever we get out of here and whenever you get home, you, see, you block this hour off or two hours off, and you say, I'm just going to listen to you, whether it is a time for worship, rest, or ministry. And who knows that you don't get a knock on the door during that time? Who knows that he doesn't call to mind something in Scripture? He says, go back to this passage. Go back to this. Hey, deal with this. Come to me in prayer. Hey, take a nap. Give that time to him. That's what unplanned doesn't mean nobody has a plan. It means that you're taking your plans away and giving room for him. That's the first way you can Sabbath. Secondly, he calls it a, a vocational or a vocational time. So he gave this idea of taking something that could be seen as a vocation. Sarah and I were talking about gardening. You know, you could work your week as a gardener, right? Or like a landscaper and, you know, be doing that all week long and think like, man, you know what I want to do on the Sabbath? I want to landscape, right? Probably not. But for someone else, it might be, man, I've been sitting at a desk. I'd love to just get outside. I want to plant my flowers. I'm going to pour some dirt. That can be Sabbath. Make sense? Maybe there's something else that you, you would like to do. Maybe you like, um, maybe like drawing or maybe you like, uh, I don't know, something that you like that is avocational, that is not your normal 40-hour-a-week job. Grab something like that. How about contemplative time? Setting time aside to just think, to be alone with your thoughts. Sounds pretty terrifying, doesn't it? But that can be Sabbathing as well, particularly as we give that to the Lord and say, Father, I want to sit down. Contemplative time could also be journaling time. Love journaling, but I never make time for it. Fourthly, he gives aesthetic time. This was probably leaning more towards what I described with avocational because that came to mind. But aesthetic time would be sort of the, the time of saying, hey, it's a pretty nice day out. I'm going to go outside and enjoy God's creation." I'm going to see all this great work that he did in those six days. I'm going to take the seventh day and rest in marveling at what he's done. It's going to be 90-some degrees today, so I hope you did that yesterday, because that was my plan. But it's still a great option. Number five, give time to nurture relationships. Again, we have these relationships mentioned in the end of the passage that we read today. All of these people, there, there are people that are in your spheres of influence that you can actually give Sabbath to by nurturing those relationships, by growing in them, by taking time out and setting up your pool for your kids or taking them out to ice cream or whatever it might be. And then lastly, he gives an idea that is more encompassing than just one day, but he tells us that we ought to inject Sabbath into our work, that we ought to keep in the back of our minds that even as we are working, we are at rest in Christ. That as we are working, we're not working like the rest of the world does. We're not working for our own production, for our own refining of our own image, but we're working as unto him who has finished his work, who is seated at the right hand of God. And so even though, again, <laughs> even though Sabbath is meant to be one holy, separate, special day, it is meant to pour over into all the rest of our days too, either in rest, in ministry, or in worship. So I want you to pick one of those things, and then I want, to, want you to pick one other thing too. I want you to pick one thing today that you're not going to worry about. Got it? Just talking about it in your head. Something that you will not worry about. 
that when it comes to mind and you say, oh, I know I still have to deal with that, that you would respond by saying, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. Lord, take that worry from me. I'm not going to worry about it because you hold all things in your hands. Amen. Just like that. Take that one thing today. Find another way that you can express Sabbath rest, Sabbath worship, or Sabbath ministry today. Well, in the rest that Christ has provided to us, we look forward to a day when we will embrace that rest perfectly. That's what we're going to sing about here. I'm going to pray for us and invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing, We Will Feast. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I thank you for this hope that we have, that Sabbath ultimately is just a foretaste of entering into that perfect and full rest in Christ for all eternity. That our working under these circumstances, under the weight of a sinful world in a fallen place with obstacles that seem too big for us, Lord, one day we will sit at your table and marvel at your work, your work that you have invited us into. But we will rest. Lord, help us to rest even today. For those of us who perhaps need to leave and go to work after church or sometime this evening, Help us to find another day. Paul reminds us in Colossians that we shouldn't, it's not about Sunday or Saturday. It is about taking a day and saying, Lord, I'm giving this to you as the culmination of my week. All the good things that happened, all the rest of the six days, all the bad things that happened, all leading to this moment where we would just slow down, look to you, rest, and serve others for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.